0: I'm Charles Lee.
1: And I'm Elise Kovac,
0: And this is the Grok Science Show. Coming up on today's program, we'll
1: be speaking with Dr. Sam Harris to talk about his newest book, The Moral Landscape, How Science Can Determine Human Values.
0: So you want to stay tuned for all that, plus the Grokatron 5000 is coming right up here on the Grok Science Show.
1: Dr. Harris is a neuroscientist who gained quite a bit of attention from his paper examining the neural correlates of religious versus non-religious beliefs. He's the CEO of Project Reason, the author of two New York Times bestsellers titled The End of Faith and Letters to a Christian Nation, and he's with us today to discuss his newest book titled The Moral Landscape, How Science Can Determine Human Values. So, Dr. Harris, welcome to the Grok Science Show.
2: Thank you so much. A pleasure to be here.
1: Oh, wonderful. So your book is titled The Moral Landscape. What is a moral landscape? Let's start with that.
2: Well, it's a framework I use to think about questions of right and wrong and good and evil in universal terms. It's a landscape of all possible conscious experience, where the peaks correspond to the heights of happiness or well-being, and the valleys correspond to the lowest depths of suffering. And it's a way to think about changes in, in conscious experience and to think about questions of morality and human values in that context.
1: So you just used the C word, and that's often a controversial word to use as a neuroscientist. Charles and I are both neuroscientists. We um, pretend to be. <laughs> yes, we pretend to be. I want to know how, you, how your book, it's about letting science guide you through this moral landscape. But right. h- how, are, how are we supposed to use science to understand morals?
2: First, we should distinguish answers in practice from answers in principle. There are obviously many facts about the universe that we can't, that are, that are currently scientifically intractable, I although mean, we can't actually acquire the data. And and some are in, are, in practice, always going to be out of reach, and yet we know that these truths exist. I mean, if I were to, there's no team of scientists who could tell us how many birds are in flight over the surface of the Earth at this moment, and yet we know there's just a simple numerical answer to that question. We do science in the face of a larger reality, which has innumerable questions like that. So we have this background of facts. And what I'm arguing is that because conscious experience arises in some way dependent upon the laws of nature, and we don't obviously understand it in all its details, but we know that it's not entirely random. We know that every way of living isn't the equivalent of every other way of living in terms of producing, uh, in our case, human uh, well-being. Uh, then we know that there must be right and wrong answers to this question. Well, what I'm arguing is that there there must be right and wrong ways to move across. What I call the moral landscape. Even if there are multiple peaks on it, even if there are multiple equivalent ways for human beings to thrive, both personally and collectively, and I, I think there probably are. There are clearly many ways not to thrive. There are many ways to completely fail to live a a life that maximizes well-being or positive social emotions like compassion and empathy and trust. Uh, it's, it's possible for societies to completely fail to uh, produce lives worth living. And we know something about this, and all of these details, though complex when you get into the, get into them, fall into the sciences of genetics and neuroscience and psychology and sociology and economics. I mean, every variable that can influence states of the human brain will be relevant in the end to a full understanding of human well-being.
1: You use the word variable, and you mentioned many, many different variables, and I'm having a hard time understanding one of the main concepts of the book, which would be science and morality together. Because in science, we use, we examine things using the scientific method. How would you suggest that one might be able to control for all of these factors that would make up one's moral character?
2: Well, my core argument is that we know certain moral truths even before we go into the lab at this point. We know, for instance, that life in Afghanistan under the Taliban is not a way of maximizing human well-being. throwing battery acid in the face of a little girl for the crime of learning to read is just not a good strategy for Mm -hmm. raising happy children or competent adults or building a society that... That uh, allows the the most uh, people to flourish. I mean, this is just so patently obvious. And what I'm saying is that that is not most people in science seem to think that something has occurred in the last 200 years that has made it problematic to speak about moral truth in a transcultural way right, from the point of view of science. But what I'm saying is, the moment you link morality to questions of human and animal well-being, then clearly there are truths to be known about it, and clearly there are obviously wrong ways to live. And to to pretend that we can't say that the Taliban are wrong, really wrong, not from the point of view of science, they're really wrong about human well-being, is to pretend that we know nothing about human well-being, is to pretend that you know, while we have 150 years of brain science and psychology and sociology behind us, and we've made some real gains in the treatment of women and in, in our culture uh, and in equity between the sexes, maybe forcing half the population to live in cloth bags is as good as anything we've come up with. And we and we just know it's not it's not an intellectually honest position. And yet, yet it's one one that I continually run into in in the ivory tower. People think that values and Morality are a, are a no-go area for science in, in normative terms. All we can do is descriptively notice what people are doing in the name of morality, but there's no place to stand in which to, from which to say anyone is ever right or wrong, and that's, and that's the, the, the chief thing I'm disputing.
1: What, what do we do, though, if, for instance, my well-being, which people can argue in a certain part of my life could be considered a good, happy life, could be considered well-being, for me but it could also be causing suffering down the line for a bunch of people say in sub-saharan Africa
2: right that kind of moral problem is something obviously that we we run into and there are situations where there are there's a zero sum trade-off between one person's happiness and, and another you know if there's, if there's one slice of pie left and the other, only one person can have it there there are trade-offs of that sort but I think the most important Moral occasions are ones that, that are, are generally not zero sum I mean, there are some very obvious things we could do to make life better for more or less everyone in, a, in our global civilization i mean eradicating the causes of deadly pandemics, uh, nuclear proliferation, terrorism, the causes of war i mean all these this would be good for everybody on sure. balance. There'd, there'd be no losers so those are those are obviously right things to do and when you when you talk about a radically zero-sum, internecine, everyone-for-himself moments uh, on this landscape, clearly they're not going to be peaks on the landscape. They're, 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 they're clearly, there are situations in which one person can be made happy by the slavery of others, mm-hmm and i 'm not denying that it 's possible that there are kind of pathological states of happiness that people can experience. I think a, you know a suicide bomber before he pushes the button is probably experiencing some kind of religious ecstasy mm-hmm. and if you could trade places with him at that moment, you would be experiencing quite a thrill. but that kind of happiness is not a the durable basis for most of the people most of the time to be truly happy. So it, 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 it by definition, wouldn't be a peak on, on what I'm calling the moral landscape.
1: I don't disagree with you at all. Um, the issue that I'm having is the things that we can inarguably say, these are right. Science is about quantification. H- how do we quantify these values?
2: Well, again, you're a- asking in practice, and, and and I think the deeper point is made in principle. Now, in practice, yes, I think we will understand States like compassion and joy and and love at the level of the brain, and we will quantify them. I mean, we will be be, we will understand the genes that allow people to feel compassion, and the genes that the the variants that lead to psychopathy, say, Mm -hmm. uh, and the kinds of brain injuries that lead to psychopathy. We're beginning to understand that now. And but the deeper principle is just. I mean, imagine a universe in which. Every conscious creature, humans and animals, and anything that can have any experience whatsoever, suffers as much as it possibly can for as long as it can. In my book, I call this the the worst possible misery for everyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, that's bad. And if anything is bad, that is. And I and what I ar- what I argue is that given that that state of affairs is is related to ha- to the laws of nature in some way. and mean, conscious experience is constrained by the laws of nature and therefore falls within the purview of science any movement away from that worst possible misery for everyone is going to be a movement towards something better by by definition and so that the moment you acknowledge that that continuum exists that it's possible for everything to suffer as much as it possibly can suffer for as long as it possibly can and there's mo- there's a possibility of movement away from that there's clearly going to be right and wrong ways to move mm-hmm. and there's going to be and and there's there there, there are better and worse ways to avoid the worst possible misery for everyone, and and that's all, uh, it seems to me that's all I need to ground morality and values squarely in the context of of a growing scientific understanding of mental life. But but I don't even I think even in stronger terms than that I don't see any other intelligible way to talk about morality. And it, and this I think would change just admitting this much would change our discourse so that when for instance you notice an institution like the Catholic Church talks about morality and values, but they're actually more concerned about preventing contraception than the rape of children. Sure, sure. Um, that that inversion of priorities. I mean, they're clearly not really tracking the details of human well-being in, in any intelligible way. There, that is analogous to them talking about the physics of the transubstantiation or the physics of the Holy Ghost. I mean, they could use the word physics in that way, but they physics. wouldn't. They we, we wouldn't have to take them seriously. And, and I'm saying that we don't have to take them seriously when they talk about. Morality and values when they're actually not talking about the well-being of conscious creatures.
1: I agree. Um, you know, I'm 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 proud to call myself an atheist and anti-theist. And in many, if not most, respects of your book, it was like preaching to the choir. But with all due respect, I think that there may be something very unscientific about exploring concepts of human values and, and morality, yet what you suggest is good science isn't the result of scientists abstaining from making value judgments. And I thought that was really interesting, and I was hoping you would expand on that.
2: Yeah, well, you, there's this notion that there's this separation between facts and values, and science just deals in facts, and values are something uh, that uh, science can really never get a hold of. But the problem with that description is that when you look at the the kinds of facts that science deals in, we only get to an agreement on those facts based on values, based on valuing evidence, valuing logical coherence, valuing parsimony, valuing mathematical elegance in certain spheres of science. We have to value understanding the universe. And, And when you confront someone who doesn't share those values, the conversation just falls apart. There's just no, there is no common ground. And yet, in every other area of science, we don't take that as a problem. When the, when the, when the creationist comes to the, the paleontology conference and says, well, listen, I, I'm, the way I talk about paleontology is just whatever fits the book of Genesis, that person fails to prove his or her inadequacy to, to the conversation. And yet, we seem to believe that differences of opinion on morality... When someone comes to the, co- the morality conference and says, "Well, I get my, my morality out of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, somehow that difference of opinion erodes the basis of moral truth and I think I think that is a double standard in our reasoning that that is ultimately incoherent but also uh, quite harmful to our building a global civilization based on shared values.
1: There's a part of me that finds a certain amount of comfort, and I don't know if that's the best way to describe it on keeping ideas of morality separate from concepts that may be proven with the scientific method. I'm afraid that people that have religious beliefs, that they don't do that, I worry if that could lead to the idea that one needs to choose between science and religion.
2: One does need to choose between holding beliefs for good reasons and holding beliefs for bad reasons. I mean, there really is a conflict there, and I just I think we obscure that at our peril. Now, obviously, there's some there are some political moves that that may be prudent in certain circumstances, and I you know I certainly wouldn't recommend that anyone. Make the kinds of noises I make about religion in all contexts. I don't go to Mecca and and hold a public lecture on expressing my views of Islam, for instance.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, but well, that might get you in a little trouble, yeah.
2: Yeah, that would be the the, the swift end of a career. <laughs> uh, but the I think there is a deep analogy between talking about morality in terms of human well being and talking about human health. I mean, really, I'm I'm talking about mental health and the health of societies, mm-hmm. and 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 so uh when you just change the terms in that way it clearly falls within the context of science i mean me- mental health uh, uh, the the concept of physical health is a loose concept which is continually changing continually absorbing changes in the way human beings live and breakthroughs in science we we have different expectations about human health at this point and yet we have a science of medicine which is a real science there's no question that there are right and wrong answers to Questions about how diseases spread and and how gene, certain genes affect our longevity, et cetera. Now, simply obvious, uh, it, or should be obvious, that because states of human consciousness are arising on the basis of of some psychophysical laws. I mean, the brain is the basis for for human experience and. Influences upon it based on the behavior of other people and the states of the world that is the the stuff of which our subjectivity uh, upon which our subjectivity is built of course uh, i mean all, so all of this has to fall within science it just becomes it's just the the, the, the details are incredibly complicated, but the general principles are pretty obvious and it 's pretty obvious that living in Congo at this moment, where most people are worrying about being raped or killed by drug addled soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not it's not an ideal circumstance for human well being. And which is to say that one would be it would not be moral to intentionally produce that circumstance for people. Of it would course. be a bad thing. And, and 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 but again I think that's a claim that, that is as strong a scientific claim as saying that it is unhealthy to drink cyanide or that you know, spreading smallpox around is not good for children in terms of their health I mean this is just those those are scientific claims they're not these whimsical value judgments I mean smallpox really does kill people mm-hmm. um, and we understand something about it well, psychopathy is really bad for human relationships, and w- we can we can begin to understand something about that and 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 indeed we are.
1: The one thing that I worry about is I I don't think I can convince anyone to share my lack of religious beliefs and just like religious believers would never be able to get me to join in on their team. But nonetheless, I want people to see that science can show you profound and tangible truths. So in other words, I I mean, you believe your thing. I won't believe in your thing. But let's both agree that science has proven to us that X, Y, and Z has occurred. And I'm just thinking that this might be a little bit more of a a realistic process approach to make science a little bit more friendly and not frightening.
2: Right. Well, I mean you're that's, you're raising a political concern and and uh, I'm talking about what is actually true here because if, for instance you can't convince a majority of the American population that evolution occurred. Ex- but that but that doesn't for a moment put evolutionary biology into question. I mean we evolutionary biology is thriving despite the fact that most people don't believe in it. Now that's true of uh, i mean we do we don't we simply don't anchor science to we don't put science to to a vote you know on on democratic principles mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's possible for the majority of human beings to be wrong about anything sure. and it's possible for the majority or for everyone to be wrong about the possibilities of human well-being mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's why i find this notion of a moral landscape useful it's possible for all of us to be wrong about how to move upward mm-hmm. uh from where we currently are and I, I think that's yes, it's you have to pick pick your moments when you're going to go to the mat to try to erode someone's unjustified beliefs, but certain beliefs are hugely consequential and they're causing an immensity of of unnecessary human suffering and we can't merely respect them and wait for them to go away. I mean we're on a collision course with people who think that the end of the world will in some sense be a good thing. They, we're either going to be raptured by Jesus or Islam will reign triumphant. I mean, these are, there are millions and millions of people who subscribe to some very implausible ideas which justify extraordinary misuses of human life and energy. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and so I, I think we, uh, we just have to begin speaking honestly about the status of these ideas.
0: So this this is a very fascinating idea, the moral landscape that you've presented here. But it still seems like a, a bit of an assertion. What do you think it would take to eventually arrive at a scientific description of morality?
2: Well, I, I think it's 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 like asking the same question about physical health. I mean, I just heard you say you're simply asserting that physical health has something to do with not dying young, not being in excruciating pain, not uh, being debilitated by infectious disease, etc. You just gave us a list of assertions. Well, who are you to say that that's what physical health is? How could you ever convince someone with with end-stage Alzheimer's that they're not as healthy as you are? Now, it's possible to, to give voice to those doubts, but... I mean clearly medicine is no one no one is tempted to attack the philosophical foundations of medicine with those kinds of doubts and yet everyone seemingly wants to attack a a scientific understanding of 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 morality in terms of of human and animal well-being uh, by the same rationale I just I just think it's it's a bizarre double standard because it's it's and the I, 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 don't, I don't. I think well-being even supersedes a concern for physical health. You know, well, why is physical health important to us? I mean, I, th- I think it's it's one category of a of a more general concept of well-being that interests everyone, and th- that whether or not they they think of it in those terms. I mean, we 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 simply, you know, everyone who is running for their life in Congo at this moment can dimly imagine some change in their state. Of being that that they would prefer, whether they have a free moment to spare to think about it, and we can uh, we can understand the, the the neurology of those states of consciousness, the social systems that encourage certain experiences. Uh, we can have breakthroughs in economics that create systems of greater trust and and kind of ease the friction of of relationships between between strangers. I mean, there's all kinds of changes that could happen in the world that could improve, that, could, would, that there could be a tide that would basically raise all, all boats. And could, all of this is clearly anchored to facts about, crucially, uh, the human brain and the way in which uh, human subjectivity is arising on, it, on the basis of its changes. Um, Let
1: me just apologize for two seconds I don't want to um, mm-hmm. make you think I, I apologize for giving you a hard time throughout all of this because Oh no
2: no I, I appreciate it I'm mean, i I'm not uh, at all I don't want to duck any of your questions
1: <laughs> No 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 I don't feel like you did okay. you, you, you took the punch as well The book was fascinating and it really really makes you think It makes you question how you do think And a lot of our listeners are scientists And I think it right. would be very good for them to check this out
0: Indeed the book is The Moral Landscape uh, How Science Can Determine Humanistic Values Human values.
1: (laughs) No humanistic human. Um, So, Grokatron, Charles, are are you ready? Dr. Harris, for the Grokatron. Uh, I
0: have
2: no idea what the Grokatron is, but I'm ready. (laughs) Silly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ready or not, here it comes. Uh, It's time to play the game, the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, landscapes. For the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you would consider them uh, landscape architects, or a demolition crew, or the maintenance team.
2: Okay, so I have three categories. For three categories. Yes.
1: Okay. Landscape architect, demolition crew, or maintenance team. And okay. so, tell us why as well. Um, number one, Richard Dawkins.
2: I would say he's certainly uh, the maintenance team in 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 a good sense. I sure. mean He's he is trimming the hedges on uh, the, some of the crucial boundaries between between pious fiction and our rational worldview. I think he's, uh, he's done indispensable work for decades at this point. Uh, so.
1: Very good. Yeah. All right. Number two, you ready? Kim Jong-un.
2: Uh, Kim Jong-il? No,
1: Un, his second oh. youngest son.
2: Oh, I don't, I don't yet know, uh, presumably he's going to make the same noises as his father and grandfather. <laughs> um, in which case he's, uh, he's, part of the demolition team <laughs> uh
1: that's that's and, that's good enough yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right on uh, number three glenn beck
2: uh i would also put him in demolition although not not uh in, in quite the same sinister way as uh the kims well i just i think he he's committed to a a pretty lunatic worldview of his own it's it's less frightening than the uh <clears throat> the the concentration the, the concentration camp uh hostage situation we have going on in North Korea but mm-hmm. um i you know i you know Glenbeck's kind of thinking and demagoguery and nationalism yoked to religious triumphalism is not something we should be comfortable with uh, i think he's he's a uh I think he's a demagogue, and um, there there are millions of people in this country who are uh, all too energized by by him. Sure.
1: All right. Um, I'm really interested to hear what you say, what you have to say about the next person, um, Francis Collins.
2: Francis Collins. Where does he fit? Uh, I guess there are no architects in my landscape universe. Uh, <clears throat> he's um, he's part of the, the demolition team for yet another reason. I, I think he's. I say I'm sure he's a very nice man. I'm sure his heart is in the right place and and I and I don't doubt that he is a good medical geneticist and and uh, he's certainly helpful. Uh, his his work on the human genome project was only as a, a great administrator was was uh, very helpful, but he is uh, he's profoundly dishonest uh, about the compatibility between science and religion and when he stands up in front of thousands of people and talks about God creating the universe 13.75 billion years ago and, and inserting free will into the minds of one species of primate. Uh, he's just talking nonsense, and he should know it. Uh, he's, he's well-educated enough to know it, and he's pretending not to know it.
1: Alrighty, Okay, so um, the last person on the list is one of my favorite people, um, Christopher Hitchens.
2: Uh, well, I, he's also one of my favorite people. How's he uh, doing? Do you know? He's, um, you know, I don't, I don't have it Firsthand from him in terms of his his prognosis, mm. uh, yeah, I know it's it's certainly not a uh, a good cancer in general to yeah. have gotten, and um, so yeah, I mean he's he's uh, a fantastic voice and uh, <clears throat> maintaining uh, the same same edges of our rational worldview uh, slightly differently and and uh, than Dawkins and. Far more eloquently than than I'm attempting. Um, and more than
1: uh, anyone can. That, yeah, yeah, he's
2: he's, uh, he's brilliant, and we should have our fingers crossed for him.
1: Yeah, indeed. Okay. Yeah. Well, on that somber note. Wow, how did that happen? Um, <laughs> thank you, Dr. I, Harris. Well, um, Dr. Sam Harris, everyone, Uh, pick up his book, The Moral Landscape, How Science Can Determine Human Values. It's really, really an interesting, thought-provoking read. Dr. Harris, thank you very much.
2: It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Okay, you
0: have a wonderful day. You
1: too. All right, bye-bye.
0: Wow, fascinating discussion on morals.
1: Indeed, a fascinating discussion. I, I missed last show, and I, I hope that someone gave Mick a shout-out.
0: We always have to give Mick a shout-out. I mean, he is one of our most dedicated fans on the website. And, and
1: we appreciate that. And we also have another shout-out to give today. It's uh, Ms. Carmen Hoffman. Miss Carmen Hoffman, one of our newest fans. So we uh, we like to give our fans shout-outs, and we want to give you a shout-out. So why don't you go to our website, or email us, or even go to our Twitter what, really? I don't even know how to tweet. But nonetheless, go and tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what we're doing right. Give us some suggestions for the next show.
0: Tell us if we're immoral. <laughs> we don't know.
1: <laughs> yes, tell us Maybe if Maybe you... there's a
0: science for this. Uh, well, read the book.
1: <laughs> hey,
0: <laughs> there we go. All right. Uh, well, this has been the Grok Science Show. I've been uh, your host, Charles Lee. And I'm Elise Kovac, And we'll be back in some more from the world of science and technology. And, and we'll miss you. We will. Write to us. We're on the web. Our web address, www.grox.net. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and you can email us, science at grox.net. Have a great afternoon.